As an historian, I try to tell people about that. You know, the idea that somehow this city has changed so radically that horses don't belong here anymore is just absurd to me. I mean, that they, they have every right to be here. Um, they literally built this city. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where you will hear stories of people who love and care for animals. The topic today is about carriage horses and the New York City carriage industry. This has been a story in the news for almost a decade where there are a couple of groups trying to put the carriage industry out of business, claiming that the horses are not cared for and that it's just a terrible thing for the horses to do. I actually believe nothing could be further from the truth. I worry about the fact that we're taking animals out of our lives altogether. I was in New York City this winter on a freelance job and witnessed uh, people in in Central Park lining up to talk with the carriage drivers, to actually pet the horses, see for themselves, and take a ride through Central Park, which is a bucket list item for some folks. My guest today is a spokesperson for the New York City carriage industry, and she is also a carriage driver in New York City, Christina Hansen. You can actually go out and take a ride with her and hear all of this story and more again. Christina, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here. I love talking about the carriage horses. Well, good. And I had the opportunity to meet you in New York City this past winter and uh, thoroughly enjoyed seeing the stable and also your articulation and knowledge of the of the carriage horses and the industry itself was impressive. So first of all, tell us, um, you know, what you do. You're the spokesperson, I believe. Uh, so what's your role with the carriage horses? So I am a carriage driver myself. So that is my full-time job. I've been driving a carriage here in New York city now for 10 years. I used to drive a carriage in Philadelphia. Uh, so altogether and I've been driving carriages for 16 years. When I was in Philadelphia, I sort of discovered how much the public doesn't know about horses. I mean, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, where horses are a part of the culture. I grew up with season tickets to the Kentucky Horse Park and going to the International Museum of the Horse. So the stuff that I would hear just on the sidewalk outside Independence Hall about my horse or about horses in general or about horses in history uh, was really kind of shocking to me. Um, and so that's when I sort of became a working horse advocate. I consider myself an educator, somebody who tells people about horses, about humans relationship with horses and what working horses can do, whether they're in the city or really any place else. And so I came to New York city, not just because we're the most famous carriages in the world. Uh, central park was designed to be seen from the back of a carriage it is a good and thriving business, you know, for anybody who wants to work with horses for a living, uh, but also because this is where the fight is. I mean, we're the media capital of the world. Um, and this is a place where, you know, there's a, there's been a quote unquote controversy around carriage horses for over 40 years. Uh, you can maybe even make an argument for longer than that. Uh, but where, um, I, you know, I wanted to advocate for them and for their people, you know, to tell people 
the truth about them. And so I am now not only am I carriage driver, but I'm also a spokesperson for the carriage industry. I'm the one that goes on TV. Um, and I am the chief shop steward for our union, TW Local 100, that represents the Central Park uh, horse carriages, their drivers and owners. Okay, fantastic. I'm going to have you expand a bit. So I'm a horse trainer. I think I had mentioned it to you mm-hmm. when we met and uh, grew up with horses who were trained to perform, whether mm-hmm. at zoos or fairs, festivals, circuses, that kind of thing. My father was also a teamster in that he drove, he trained and drove Percheron horses to pull circus wagons in Circus World in Baraboo, Wisconsin, largest collection of circus wagons, big heavy wagons that require like a four to eight horse hitch or more. So I come to it with that experience and understanding and my, some of my first memories were our ponies driving, uh, pulling a sleigh for us. And as I've said in the podcast in I think episode one, and then he taught the elephant to pull the sleigh, not that the (laughs) elephant had to learn much. They just hooked up and away you go. So I do understand, uh, working horses in that vein. When you say working horses, are you referring primarily to carriage horses? Well, that's my experience as driving horses in the city, um, whether Philadelphia or in New York. So that is what I'm an expert at. And that's actually a thing that I um, find that people have the hardest time that don't know much about horses, have the hardest time wrapping their heads around uh, because um, I hear all the time from people who mean well, Um, you know, like, oh, but these horses should be in a field someplace or out on a farm someplace out in the countryside. That's where horses should be. Um, and you know, and my personal experience is like, I don't know how to plow. I don't know how to do, I don't know how to walk (laughs) with horses. Like these are all things that you can do with a horse and harness. Uh, things that historically horses have done, but you know, I'm an expert on horses in very dense urban areas. Okay. And uh, so one of the questions that I get asked all the time is like, why don't the horses spook from being in the city? And it's like, well, because they're prey animals. That's, that's why they don't spook actually, because as you know, as you know, and, and anybody knows the horse knows that they're prey animals. Their big concern in life besides eating is not being eaten themselves <laughs> and not being uh, dinner. And, you know, if you're a feral horse, or whatever left your own devices, your defense against mountain lions is to spook and run away. But of course you can't spook and run away at everything that moves um, because otherwise you'd spend all your time running around and it burn up all your calories and you starve to death or you'd step in a gopher hole, hurt yourself and the mountain lion's going to eat you. So right. Mother Nature has given these animals, you know, this, um, you know, excellent memory and a healthy dose of curiosity. And then we humans have also selectively bred them for, you know, the ability to kind of think things through and not be so reactive to new things. And and so once the carriage horse has figured out that the taxis and the buses and the cement mixers and the sirens, <laughs> you know, everything they, they, the hot dog carts, um, the bicyclists, the pedicabs, that none of those things are actually mountain lions. None of them are going to eat them. As far as my carriage horses are concerned, they're just a part of their landscape. I mean, horses are highly adaptable animals. Yes. They adapt almost any place that they, that humans can go, horses have come along with us. And the reality is that a place like New York city, 
simply wouldn't exist except for the fact that there have been horses here since 1625 on Manhattan. Yes. Everything about this landscape. And that's, you know, as an historian, I try to tell people about that. You know, the idea that somehow this city has changed so radically that horses don't belong here anymore is just absurd to me. I mean, that they they have every right to be here. Um, they literally built this city. Yeah, I, I will echo what you say in working with horses at unique locations. I don't do competitive horse shows. So when I'm working with my horses, it's not the typical stereotypical place for a horse. Sometimes that's a county fair. And as they typically do, I'm beside like the tractor pull or the tilt-a-whirl or something like that, or the big flag up in the air waving, you know, that has its arms waving. And my horses are are trained so well, they take a look at that. I tell them it's okay. But when, mm-hmm. when horses are well-trained and animals in general, I can speak to having, you know, trained or been around a lot of trained animals, they're going to look to us to see if they should be nervous about anything. We're going to train them really well. We're going to provide them a lot of different opportunities to see things. And then at the end of the day, we can't provide them every opportunity. So, right, they're going to look at us. I had the opportunity to see your horses, to walk in the stable, the one stable in New York City. And I think there were 90 horses there. Is that correct? Or yes, thereabouts? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We toured Clinton Park stables okay. uh, on 2nd Street. That is the largest of the three carriage stables. About right. two thirds of the carriage business is housed in that stable. Uh, there's 45 carriages and 90 horses. Okay. Out of that stable. Yeah. Out of that and stable, just yeah. a, uh, what, a half a mile or so from uh, Central Park. Cause I know I would sit in my diner and see him going in or out from the park. So yeah. finally got to meet up with you, but again, I am a, I'm a horse expert. I'm a trainer. And mm-hmm. I was, I thought I was very uh, pleased and satisfied. Not that I didn't anticipate being, but you guys just opened up the stable to us. And I know from my own side of it, when people want to come and see behind the scenes at the circus, it's not because we have anything to hide. It's because people have such ridiculous notions about things it's you, you just not gonna, sure what you're going to get. And you guys just yeah. opened it up. All Everybody passed us and said hello and didn't think twice about us. Nothing, nothing to see here. It's horses. You guys were getting ready in the morning. I think it was nine o'clock in the morning and uh, it was a very busy place, but it's they good. were walking them out, yeah. hooking them up and getting ready. So, you know, I, what I saw, I have absolutely no problem with. And I did some homework online and saw various vets who've come out and said, you know, honestly, more horses should be treated like this. I, I live in um, urban areas. Sometimes I'm, I live in Pinellas County, Florida. It's a mm-hmm. very urban area. I think we have almost a million people in uh, 34 square miles or some crazy thing. So horses mm-hmm. don't have any space here, but people want their horses. They're not going to go without. So we have postage stamp areas, you know, so a lot of horses in stalls. Not ideal for horses that aren't working horses. You know, I have no problem keeping my horse at a stall when we're working, but my horses would get worked daily or thereabouts. And so I I have absolutely no issue. I love driving my, you know, I love driving carriages, something I really enjoy. Uh, it. I read that 
Um, the carriages in Central Park have been there since the what seventies or so, or has it always been a part no, of Central no, no, Park? No, no, no. So, so the 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 the, uh, the park was designed in the eighteen fifties. Oh, okay. Law Olmsted, uh, he's basically invented landscape architecture in this country, and it. He just, he said he envisioned Central Park as being a place where you'd go for a quiet drive, a ride, or a stroll. So nice. by driving, a quiet drive, of course, in the 1850s was carriage driving. Right. By the 1850s in New York City, you had traffic jams. Traffic was an issue um, in what was then Midtown. There was just so many wagons, carriages, buggies, horse-drawn omnibuses, horse-drawn streetcars, livestock being driven through the street, you know, as well as all the pedestrians that basically the rich folks whose hobby was horses, you know, they had fancy horses, fancy carriages. Right. They didn't have to go for a drive. They didn't have a place to drive their horses. It's like owning a Ferrari and you're sitting in rush hour traffic. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, that makes sense. So the, you know, the rich folks in New York, the movers and shakers, the politic, you know, politically connected or whatever. So we need to have a big public park. We can get out of the city, out of this, you know, out of the crowds of New York City. And so they bought up 843 acres on oh. the northern edge of town, up the middle of Manhattan, had a design competition for it. Frederick Law Olmsted won with his green sword plan that he did with Calvert Vox. And the carriage drives form kind of the backbone of the design of the park because he actually intended for the park to be seen from the back of a carriage. He considered the you know, every curve that you go around or hill that you go over, what kinds of vistas would unfold before you from the height and speed of the back of a carriage. If you were walking through the park, because of course not everybody, very few people could afford to have horses in the city back then, you would see the horses moving through the landscape and that would make the landscape more beautiful. Now, what ended up happening as soon as this park was designed and the rich folks were out driving through it and everything like that, is that everybody else wanted to see the park the way these wealthy folks were getting to see it. Yeah. And from the beginning, Central Park South, the north side of Central Park South, had been designated by the city of New York as Cab Stand 15. It was uh, it was a, a hat cab stand, and of course, horse-drawn cabs. And so people would actually go and hire a cab and say, hey, I want to go through the park too. I want to see it the way that these rich folks are seeing it. And basically that's us. We've been giving carriage rides for hire uh, in Central Park to the public since the day the park opened in December of 1858. Um, There are stories in the New York Times for the spring of 1859 about the scandal that was caused when like some guy from St. Louis hired a public cab and then joined the afternoon carriage parade of all the fancy (laughs) folks from Fifth Avenue. Um, you know, so if you, to this day, if you go up to Central Park and you look on the back of the carriage, it says horse drawn cab, you know, we have been licensed and regulated by the city actually since 1692 In 1692, the city of New York issued the first license for public conveyance by horse. Um, and they have been regulating them ever since they've been setting the fare since at least 1813 
And people say, well, you know, everybody had horses back then. Now we don't need horses. We have cars and we can, and we have taxis and we don't need them. Well, even in 1813, if you look at the rate schedule, there's rates for like going places. And then there's rates for a tour around the pond, which back then was the collect pond down by the health department or tour up to lover's lane. So people were riding in carriages and paying for the privilege in the early 19th century. And they've been paying for that privilege in Central Park since the day the park opened. So we have a very long and storied history. We have multi-generation carriage families. And even if your family hasn't been in the carriage business for a long time, you know, I know people that started driving carriages here 40 years ago, didn't come from the carriages, but just were into horses got trained by people that had learned to drive a carriage in the, say the sixties who had learned to drive a carriage from somebody who had learned in the forties sure. who had learned somebody who had been driving a carriage since the horse drawn era. So we're really only about four generations of carriage people away from when everything was horses. Yeah. And we still do things in a lot of ways, the way that they've always been done in this city. Well, wow, that's a, a great history. I, I appreciate knowing that. And it certainly makes sense. But that um, the, the information about how the park was actually designed to see from the back of a carriage. So I'm going to hold you right there. There's so much more to unpack here. I'm talking with Christina Hansen. She's a New York City carriage driver and also a spokesperson for the New York City carriage drivers. And uh there's just so much information, negative information, when I was in New York City about how these uh, carriages need to be put out of business. It's not good for the horses. But it's really not, as most of this stuff is, not coming from those who are actually doing it. It's kind of like the circuses and the rodeo and that type of stuff, even the zoos. It's an outcry. It's a philosophic, ideologic debate about whether or not animals should be doing certain jobs or should be left in the utopian wild. That one always makes me kind of just raise, you know, raise my furrow, my brow because for any animal and horses, again, have been domesticated for a very long time. But on this podcast, I also talk about elephants and other animals and the utopian wild is a challenging place and to keep animals alive, they're managed by humans and breeding programs by humans. And, you know, when we, New York is one of the most urban areas probably in the world. When we take animals out of our lives, it's there's a downside to that for everybody. And I find as a horse and dog trainer that when the more urban the area I'm operating in, the less sense we have about animals. And I see that trickle down to raising children and other things. So uh, probably get in trouble for saying that. All right. So Christina, you guys are under attack. And again, not by the droves of people that I personally saw show up and be excited to, to ride on these carriages. I saw the horses. I know what I'm looking at. I'm completely comfortable. Let me say quickly, even if you don't know what you're looking at, if you're not a horse person, with a, I always tell people with a horse or a dog, you can recognize an animal in distress, even just common sense. So this is not an outcry from the people who were there. This is an outcry by, uh, they have an agenda. And 
I want you to tell us a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but what is the agenda of the folks who are just demanding this end? Well, these are the radical animal rights extremists. I mean, these are the folks that don't think you should eat honey because it exploits the bees, you know, that you shouldn't own a dog or a cat because it makes you a slave owner. The only people who should have animals are vegans who are now guardians of this animal and the, the intention that they have, whether it's to cuddle the cows or whatever and charge people money for that. That's a petting zoo, by the way. In our world, it is. If you give them vegan propaganda, that's okay. But if you just have cows and pigs and goats for children to enjoy and you charge money for that, now you're exploiting the animal. So these are those same people. Um, And they have even said when push comes to shove that um, it wouldn't matter if we were keeping the horses in the Plaza Hotel. That's right. Uh, that they just think that this is exploitation, that we human beings have no right to use horses in this way. Um, the former mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, said, I just don't think it is morally wrong to use horses in this way for entertainment. It's not necessary. Um and, you know, and they, you know, they'll they'll try to claim again when push comes to shoves that the police horses are different, that riding a horse is different, that horse shows are different. Um, but really, the core people, of course, want to end all of that. But if they said, hey, we want to take your dog and we want to tell you you can't ride a horse and we want to disband the mounted unit, they wouldn't get people on the side. We do something that is unusual in yes. the horse world um, because we drive horses for one thing. So most people are not familiar with how to drive a horse. Don't realize that it is actually easier for the horse to pull a carriage like this than it is to be ridden. Yeah. Um, who aren't, for, you know, familiar with what a horse walks with it looks like when they're just walking as opposed to running around in the Kentucky Derby or something. Um, and so we're very public. We're something that's easy. You know, we're here all the time. We are, the, you know, this huge carriage industry relative to, let's say, a mom and pop place out on a, you know, apple picking place or whatever. We're high profile. Yes. Uh, and we're easy to protest. I mean, you can take the subway there and meet up with with people and then go out to dinner at a vegan restaurant. Um Plus, you know, we are highly regulated and yes. you know, they don't like to tell people that they, you know, you'll see in the comments, you know, when they've got some picture that looks, you know, untoward and they're ginning up emotions, you'll see in the comments, like people say, well, I'm not against people driving carriages. They just need to be regulated. They ought to be laws. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We have laws. We <laughs> I have, I mean, it's New York City, you know, we're overseen by five city agencies. We have all these different rules and regulations that regular horses out in the country that are pets or whatever just simply do not have um, that our horses get to enjoy. Um, But, you know, they don't want to tell people that. But if they are successful in getting rid of us, getting rid of the horses in New York City, such a high profile thing, then if we can't take care of our horses, we where we are overseen by all these city agencies and regulations, and we are in public seen by thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single day, if they can destroy us, then nobody's good enough for giving carriage rides. Then right. then that mom and pop place out in the that doesn't have well, 
they got rid of the horses in New York, you know, and they had all of a sudden, if they were to ban us, all of a sudden we would have regulations. And they had all these regulations and oversight and they were still banned, you know, that they would change the narrative. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's what they did to Ringling Brothers. I was just going to say the parallel, you know, because if Ringling brothers can't take care of their elephants with the elephant, you know, center for elephant conservation and their whole history of that and all of their terrific vets and, and animal trainers and their special elephant cars, if they can't do it, then what hope does somebody who's only got an elephant have? Right. That's exactly, I was going to draw that parallel. So thank you. And just like the elephants, Um, you guys are the experts, right? I've driven enough to know I'm not an expert. I do a good job. I can train and I can drive. But watching my father uh, years ago and then, you know, you guys with your expertise, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And you guys are the experts. And so... I always say we we don't want to we try not to hear from the experts because that doesn't fit our narrative, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's such a high level of training. I don't think people can. I'm starting to realize more and more as a dog trainer and horse trainer, people can't grasp that our animals are trained to such an amazing level that we make it look easy enough that they think there's got to be something untoward or you know, it's like voodoo or something when in fact, it's just the fact that just like Ringling Brothers marched, you know, 70 animals through the Holland Tunnel. They don't do that by abusing animals or conditioning brainwashing. That's the new thing I'm hearing. They do it by this amazing level of training, which is called operant conditioning. You know, Mm -hmm. I love the positive reinforcement only training. It's a quadrant of a scientific method called operant conditioning and you know that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) Uh, but it's you know such a high level of training and again this just like the circus this is not coming from the people who are actually participating in this and I witnessed it for myself you can go any day in New York City and see droves of people that are comfortable with the horses the carriage drivers do an amazing job of of making you guys you know just you know, you're in show business, you're chatting, you're having fun with them. You dress, dress the part. The horses have their plumes on. It's, uh, it was done really well. I, I was very impressed with you guys. Um, well, I, I, not I, that, I, not that I'm not happy to talk to you, but I gotta tell you, I was kind of jazzed about maybe Liam Neeson being on my podcast. <laughs> tell me how it came to be for those of you listeners who don't know, Liam Neeson, uh, came out in support of the carriage horses. And uh, again, you know, so many of these uh, celebrities, actors, actresses, they're always the ones, the first ones to jump on the bandwagon of warm and fuzzy, emotional. And uh, the country stars certainly don't fall into that, The you know, but I was, I was really impressed to see Liam Neeson. How did that come to pass? Well, Liam um, is from Ireland, obviously, and uh, North oh, Ireland. Oh, sure, but, that um, makes sense. Yeah, but we have a, a, the tr- the traditional ethnic group in the carriage business in New York City are the Irish, followed by the Italians, um, and we've our, our business has developed with incoming waves of immigration that reflects actually the history of the city. But um, he actually knows a couple of carriage drivers, like personally, his um, um, he and Natasha Richardson's 
doula, their midwife who delivered their children, um, is married to a carriage driver. So they have been family friends forever. And um, his mother is friends with another carriage driver's mother back home. So it it really is like this personal connection. And of course, the Irish and their horse culture is just such a strong connection. I mean, there's horse people in Dublin, you know, that that have carriage companies, but also just have horses and they just go drive around for Sunday drives for fun. You know, that's fantastic. It's part of the culture. And so Liam is somebody who knows us and knows that we're normal human beings, good people, good horse people, you know, what was being done to us by the animal rights people because they have celebrities and they have millions and millions of dollars because you have to understand that these groups, and we can talk all day about the big three, you know, the ASPCA, the Humane Society, PETA that have these, you know, that over the past 10 years have raised over a billion dollars or more, probably in the last five years, Yeah, you know, you know, their fundraising is ridiculous. They have millions and millions of dollars. But then here in New York city, we have this organization called NYCLASS, which is an acronym for New Yorkers for clean, livable and safe streets. Um, that was founded basically by a real estate guy, a guy who, um, rode, you know, rode horses, had venting horses and, you know, was the CEO of a company his cousin's company that has some properties that has parking garages and mini storage places on the West side of Manhattan. So, you know, the area where some of the stables are has been rezoned for, um, for luxury high rise condominium buildings and we're in the way. Uh, so there's this real estate angle to it. Um, you know, this guy, Steve Nislik has been joined by Wendy new, who's a billionaire in real estate and other industries here in New York that have connections to city contracts and things like that. So they, but she's like practically on the board of PETA. She's one of the top donors to PETA. So like it's the worst possible combination of people like real estate interests who have tons and tons of money who are also true believer animal rights type. People. Yes, absolutely. And um, so Liam Neeson kind of looked at this because they get all kinds of random celebrities, the Alec Baldwin's of the world. Oh, and yeah. then, you know, he's been, he's been mouthing off about carriage people for 30 years now uh, or more, you know? And so he just said, you know, I know these people and they're not being heard. Let me use my voice to actually get attention, which he did. <laughs> you know, like he challenged the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, to quote unquote man up and come to the stables and see them because de Blasio was saying he was going to ban the carriages on day one. He received all kinds of political donations from NYCLASS right. and affiliated political groups. And he had made it a campaign promise, but he had never once been to the stables. He refused to meet with the carriage drivers. He would, he actually would run away from people in top hats, you know, like it was, I, he just didn't want to actually engage with it. So Liam used that his celebrity to get the media in the stables, to get city council members in the stables, you know, just like you came and saw the stables. Yeah. Media came, the city council came. Yeah. And it just turns out that what the animal rights groups were saying just simply wasn't true. Yes. Imagine, so, imagine that. I have imagine. a mantra on this podcast, which is when uh, when you can, go see for yourself. 
farmers, fairs. Um, we did the I did the Iditarod. Uh, we can't quite get there, but it does live stream. Although I do want to go now after that podcast. So you know, go see for yourself. And I we said that with circuses too. It's it's uh, it's an agenda. And it's much bigger than the carriage horses. But yeah, de Blasio made promises and wasn't able to keep those uh, and, usually, and was not successful. But usually when the mayor of New York says, I want this done, the mayor of New York gets it done. And the fact that um, it didn't get done is a testament of the fact of, you know, what the truth was, because I mean, Unlike, unfortunately, the circus, which travels around. And even if the circus is here for three weeks every year. Right. We're not locals. You know, they can always say, oh, but we don't know what goes on outside of town. That's we're right. We're here every single day. Anybody can come see it. So guess what? The New York Times did. The New York Post did. The Daily News did. The Wall Street Journal did. Every news outlet in New York City did. CNN did. Everybody came and it was like, what are they talking about? Yeah. You know? And, yeah. And, and you they, can Google that. And I've, I've looked up all of this and... Absolutely. There it's like uh it doesn't it doesn't fit with what they've been told and to you to the credit of them coming and doing this, that was excellent. Uh I wanna I wanna let you get a few more points in here about things. I want you to think about things that you want listeners to know as we start to wrap this up. But I wanna get some visuals here because this is uh audio podcast. Uh the horses going into the stable. So I saw some big, beautiful, I think, black Percheron horses, you know, and you use some standard bred horses as well, which is a bit of a smaller horse, but they're actually made to pull a carriage. They're, they're bred to pull a carriage. And so they're a little more lithe and fine and they have a big stride. But mm-hmm. I just want people to visualize one, the horses and then, you know, their trappings with their plumes and you yep. folks wear the top hats and some colorful vests and coats, depending on the weather. So, yep. you know, lay that out a little bit. I think that's kind of fun. Well, I mean, I mean, like well, we have this very, I mean, it's it's this this very busy horsey place where you have, um, you have the horses in the morning. You know, they're getting groomed by the stablemen yeah. upstairs. They're getting harnessed. I mean, I've had horse people um, who come to our stables be like, "Oh, this is like horsey eye candy," because the horses that we use. Yeah. We do use standard breads because they're speedier. The two stables down on 37th and 38th Street, because they're further away, tend to use more standard breads. We oh, use okay. more standard breads. I have a, I have a, I personally have a 17.2 hand black standard bread. Oh you know, my goodness, who, that's a very tall horse bread, for those. The biggest standard bread I've ever know. seen. Yeah, you know, we we nicknamed him the giraffe, but um, but it, it's, you know. So we have standard breads. We have, we do have some full blooded Percherons, Belgians. Yeah. Um, and then we have a lot of draft crosses, which we jokingly call the Amish warm blood, you know, <laughs> the, but they do look like fancy, yeah. heavy, you know, European warm bloods, you know, mm-hmm. these German dressage horses or whatever. I've seen some of our carriage horses that are just, you know, Percheron saddlebred crosses and do some moves out when they're on vacation, you know, yeah. the, are worthy of the show ring, you know, so big athletic horses, um, you know, lots of Pertron standard bread crosses, Pertron Morgan crosses. Yeah. Um, so you look for the horses that are suited yeah. for the job for sure. Yeah, I mean, and- that, that, that's, you know, and, and the biggest, the biggest part of that is actually, 
um, you know, the personality. We, you know, we mentioned the training. We want a horse whose attitude when they see something they've never seen before is just to be like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. What do you think? You know, like, you know, and right. and go from there. Um, sure. And then of course the waiting is the hardest part, you know. <laughs> so standing around because their job really in a lot of ways is to stand around for most of the day. Right. You know, they they clip clop clip clop up to the park and then they get on the carriage line, hack line, they stand there and they wait till it's turned the turn to go for a ride. Yeah. Um, so that while they're there, you know, they've got, you know, their harness on. Lots of the drivers do put plumes on them because little girls love the horse with the feathers. feathers. On their- yeah. Um, the business has gone through cycles over the year because every carriage owner gets to design their own carriage basically when they order it from the carriage builder in Indiana. So used to be red and white was all the, uh, the rage. Then we went through when purple was the big thing, when everybody was, um, you know, wearing purple clothes and princesses were really big. So everybody (laughs) started having purple carriages and purple plumes. And, you know, so it's, it's, um, you know, so it's, it's. What about the costumes that, of the people? Cause they're wearing so there's this, top so hats. So there's, there's this expression, you know, within the carriage itself, they're decorated with fake flowers. Right. Um, you know, and then the carriage drivers, I mean, the top hat is traditional, um, you know, especially when the weather's reasonably nice, you know, people get their top hats out. Some people have antique top hats. People order them online. We've got some steampunk top hats straw top hats in the summertime and then you know people will dress you know oftentimes to match the carriage you know? yeah for sure there's like a theme I mean, going you know, on yeah if you're driving a blue carriage i've got a friend who found like the perfect blue wool suit that's got a little bit of a plaid in it that's got a little bit of gold thread that matches the fringe on the carriage you know stuff like that so it's an expression of who we are and then we're ambassadors you know to the park you know yeah to, you know, come carriage right in the park and Oh, do you like the horse? Would you like to give the horse a carrot? His name, you know, the horse's name is this and you want to pet him, you know? So, um, makes for great pictures too, because it is outfitted and all of that. All right. So we're going to, we're going to get close to wrapping up here and, uh, wanted to, if you could touch on briefly, uh, the horses get rotated. So they get a vacation. They get to go out and run in the, you know, the utopian pasture, the farm and that. So just touch on that if you would. I mean, like I said, we have, um, you know, more licenses and inspections than daycares, you know, just to go out to work every morning. I have to have a license gets renewed every two years. I had to take a big test to do all that uh, and an apprenticeship and everything in order to drive the carriage. The carriage has a license, so it's inspected three times a year. The stable has a license. It's inspected anytime the health department wasn't. It has to meet all of their rules and regulations for stall size, cleanliness, ventilation, uh, how yeah. the food is kept, how the hay is kept, how, you know, and, and they are manned 24 hours a day. We have stable people there working around the clock. Um, so the horses are never alone. They've got sprinkler systems, you know, and, the, and God forbid in the event uh, of a fire or anything. And of course, we're all, all three of the stables are less than three minutes away from an FDNY station. So yeah. we have, you know, which is a far cry better than a, a stable that doesn't have a sprinkler system, doesn't have anybody living in the stable yeah, out in the country. overnight yeah. and is a half hour away from the volunteer fire department. Um, and and then, then they get to go. Of course, they, of course, that's rotate out to pasture or that type of thing. So the horse is the horse then the horse then has a license. 
And in order to have that license renewed every year, that horse has to be seen by the vet twice a year for, you know, annual shots and a full physical exam and, uh, and a, what we call the biannual exam, which is halfway through the year, just again, another full physical exam. And then they have to get at least five weeks vacation outside the city where they get uh, daily access to turnout to pasture. So basically that makes them like French. They get a guaranteed five week vacation. I'm just year. thinking that they're, they're social, social. <laughs> you know, like they, you know, um, so free so, medical care, great, great I mean, nutritious and, and food and, uh, you know, vacation you for five get, weeks. Your horse doesn't get their license renewed unless you've got proof that the horse went on vacation. And very often <laughs> if you are traveling across state lines for the horse to go on vacation, say the horse is going to vacation in Lancaster County. Yeah. Um, which is where a lot of our horses do go on vacation with a bunch of other Which is Pennsylvania horses. Amish country, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're crossing state lines and of course you have to get a shipping certificate, a health certificate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Been there. Um, that's federal law, you know, and so like now the horse is being seen when they go on vacation by a vet and they're being seen when they come back. So that means that every carriage horse is being seen between two and four times a year, whether or not they're, yeah, they're, they need to or not. Um, so that's required by the law. And then, of course, the law also requires that the horses can only be out of their stable at work for no more than nine hours out of the day. So from the time they leave the stable to the time they get back, um, they can't work if it's below 19 degrees or above 89 degrees or above 80 degrees with high humidity. Um, wow, interesting. Adverse weather conditions, so blizzards, hurricanes, tornadoes, hail, solar eclipses. They, they seriously, the health department said we couldn't go to work. We had a partial solar eclipse one time. Oh my! Visits of the Pope, you know, traffic situations, um, and uh, the, if they're standing in the stand is below forty degrees, they have to have have to be covered by a blanket. <laughs> Want to start an argument amongst horse people? Yeah, ask, ask them blanket about blanketing. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have an argument because the law just tells us, yes. you know. Um, if it's below 55 degrees and raining, they have to wear a rain sheet. Um, and by the way, nobody mm-hmm. regulates the care of your the people sitting on those oh. carriages. If you guys are cold or you guys get wet, so be it. And of course, we are stewards for our animals, so don't say that lightly. And I'm not being dismissive of that. But I say, I've said on this podcast so many times about animal stories, there are more regulations in place for the animals in these worlds that I'm talking about on our podcast, the Iditarada, circus, zoo, uh, habitats, and uh, the carriage horses, then there are for our children. They show well, up at school. Nobody asks what they, where they slept, what they ate, you know, um, whether they go to the doctor or not. So, and again, we need to do that because these are animals who don't speak for themselves. But those of us who've lived around and with animals our whole lives understand and we do we do have a communication with our animals but they any of these animals in the in the areas i've covered on the podcast are guaranteed these things so we we are guaranteed these things by law yeah uh you know and i always um you know the animal rights people say like we just want the carriage horses to be as well cared for as the police department's horses, which of course the city pays for the city owns them. Same care, you know, but I mean, literally the the carriage horses live like a block and a half away from what the police horses do. They go through the same streets. They breathe the same air. Uh, The only difference is is that we actually have all those laws 
there are no laws or regulations pertaining to how long the police officers can work, what weather they can oh, work, whether they get vacations, how often they have to get their shoes done. Now, the department has policies, sure. obviously, but there's no law. There's no the health department has no way to come and wow. say, like, when did, when did this police horse get his shoes last? When did the you know, why were you guys out on New Year's Eve when it was seven degrees outside? What I'd like you to do is give us a wrap up of what what it is you really want to leave people with to give them a comfort level that this is fine and even encourage them to come out and see it. Well, I mean, I think the thing that gets said a lot about um, carriage horses, no matter where they are, whether they're in New York, whether or not they're in Charleston, whether or not they're at Disneyland is that these, you know, horses are, you know, exploited for money, you know, that they're, um, you know, and therefore, somehow they're not being taken care of because we just want to, you know, squeeze every penny out of them. And we just want to make money. We only care about money. Um, When the reality is, is that if you want to guarantee good care for animals, I mean, people whose livelihoods depend on them, you know, we have to take care of our horses first, you know, like my horse's bills all get paid before mine do, because if they don't and my horse can't go to work, then I can't pay my rent and I can't buy food. So, um, you know, my horses that I work with every day, they're, they're a part of my family. I spend more time with them than I do with my husband or anybody else (laughs) in my family. Um, you know, and they, you know, um, so their bills get paid first and, and, um, you know, they're not a disposable luxury item. Like they're not something that I have just for fun. Now my job is fun. Um, and I have this deep connection with my horse and they're my friends and, you know, companions and all sorts of stuff, but they're even more than that. They are my partner in my very existence here in New York city and their very existence here in New York city. And that is a deep, deep thing that people that are working with animals get to experience. And it is more than just, Oh, I think I'll have fun on the, you know, weekend. And I only see my horse, you know, once a week or once every two weeks. And I want to, you know, it's a toy. And then when my bills, you know, go up because I have an unexpected medical expense, let's talk about, you know, my horses are guaranteed medical care. uh, And the medical system in this country is leave something to be desired. Um, You know, if you got unexpected medical bills or, you know, somebody loses their job, you know, what happens to that horse is those bills with the horse that get cut, the horse yes, gets sold. Absolutely. The, or the horse, you stop buying hay, you know, and try to, to feed them as little as possible yeah. because you're trying to feed your kids too. Um, you know, so I don't worry about that, you know, and our stable doesn't worry about that. You know, where are we going to find hay? Can we afford hay? You know, we buy a whole year in advance, you know, every year for the hay. The hay guy's always going to have it when there's no scrambling around at the end of the season. Who's got hay? Where can I buy some? We're running low. I can't afford it. I lost my job. So, I mean, if you want to guarantee, you know, a good life for horses, I mean, support the working horses. It's the working horses that have the security. Absolutely. Um, and if you, so if you, I, mean, I always tell people, if you love horses, take a carriage ride. I mean, that money that you're paying is like, it's a vote for horses. You know, it's a vote for saying, I like having horses in the city. I like seeing horses where I'm here on vacation. I think the park is beautiful with the horses in it. And so I'm going to take a carriage ride and, you know, and, and by doing that, you're the one who's actually helping horses. It's not these animal rights people who claim to be helping horses or speaking for horses. They don't know anything about horses. 
So that's, that's what I'd have to say to people on that. That's an absolutely perfect way to wrap it up. I so appreciate you being here. And again, if you're in the city, definitely head out and uh, enjoy your carriage ride. Christina, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Keep calm and carriage on, as I say. I really hope you enjoyed hearing about the carriage horse industry, especially in New York City. But that would apply to the industries across the, at least the United States. I personally love to drive horses and I love to be in a carriage or buggy being driven by horses. We actually got to do a wagon train many years ago with my family and it's a memory that stayed with all of us. So as I always say on this podcast, go see for yourself. There are carriage rides throughout the United States in rural areas and in the cities. And use your common sense, talk to the carriage drivers, and please don't listen to the animal rights community. The groups, they really are not animal experts. They're marketing experts and fundraising experts. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It's so important for me to tell these stories about the people who love, work with, and care for animals and the related industries. I'm Heidi Harriet. See you next time on Animal Tales.